simply is the cry of our hearts that by grace we will stand on God's promises and that by faith we will walk as he walks with us. That we will, that God would speak to us until his church is built and the earth is filled with God's glory. Man, what a, what a day that will be. Uh, no, it is not a late April Fool's joke. Okay, I promise. I'm all about April Fool's jokes, but this is not one of them. Uh, we really are. If you read in your bulletin, uh, you're like, is that a typo? Are, are we really going to go through Joshua chapters 15 through 19 this morning? It's not an April Fool's joke. We really are. And no, I don't plan on this being a three-hour sermon. And yes, I really believe that all of God's word is instructive for Christians today. And so we find ourselves in Joshua chapters 15 through 19 because last week we were in chapters 13 and 14. And, and so it's right for us today, uh, since Paul writes that, that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, so that we all would be complete and equipped for every good work. And so therefore, I'm firmly believing that we need the entire Word of God at work in our lives, even the Old Testament, even the book of Joshua, even chapters 15 through 19 this morning. And I hope that by the end of the message this morning, you too will agree, hey, we need this for our Christian lives. Do you ever mistake the first part of a movie or a book series as the entire story? Right, Lord of the Rings would be terrible if it ended with the Fellowship of the Ring. Like, what a horrible ending of a movie, okay? I'm just saying. Or the Dark Knight Batman movie series would be terrible if it ended with Batman Begins. There's just so much more to the story. Uh, the book of Joshua is not the end of the story of God at work with his people. But we are at a point in the book of Joshua where we see some resolution that comes to fruition. And so we need this, this resolution that it brings, but we are also understanding that it's short-lived, it's not ultimate, and that God has something greater yet in store than what we will read in Joshua chapters 15 through 19. It's a moment of not just God making his promises, but we're seeing some of those promises fulfilled. And we need that for our Christian lives. And so I encourage you, if you have a Bible, to open it to the book of Joshua. It is in the Old Testament. It's close to the beginning of, of the Old Testament, the beginning of the Bible. And we're going to be in chapters 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. Now, generally, I would read the sermon passage. That would leave us, that would become a three-hour sermon because I think chapter 15 is like 60-some verses in and of itself. Uh, but what we're going to do is we're going to look at it from a 30,000-foot view, 
and we're going to say, why was this included in the book of Joshua? And why is it included in the Christian Bible? And why is it necessary for our lives? If you don't have a Bible, no problem. Inside the bulletin, we have a sermon notes section, and we have a QR code that you can scan with your phone. It will take you to Bible Gateway. It opens up right up to Joshua chapter 15. But that's where we're going to camp out for a little bit. Uh, it's going to be intense like camping, but it's going to be great. Now remember, the book of Joshua is not about Joshua, and it's not about conquests. It is about God's faithfulness. From the beginning of the book to the end, we have seen God being loyally faithful to his covenant people, Israel. And we see that God is a God who keeps his promises to his people, even when it looks impossible. And we get to see the fruition of that this morning. Now we are working on our verse of the series, Joshua 21:45. I hope that this has been a good verse that has been running through your mind at random times when you're at Aldi grocery shopping, or whether you are refereeing a basketball game, or whether you're just driving down the interstate and you're thinking, man, Joshua 21:45 is awesome. And in case that hasn't happened yet, that means we need to keep reciting it together. So let's look at the screens. Let's say Joshua 21:45 together. Not one word of all the good promises that the Lord had made to the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. Man, those are promises. That's a reality that, that we can bank on. Let me pray for us as we open up God's word. Lord, we are so thankful that you indeed keep your promises that not a single one of your promises are empty promises. Lord, your words are not empty. They are full of life. Because God, you are the source of life. And so we pray that as we look at your word today, we would see you fulfilling your promises. And we would see that we can trust you and follow you all the more. And so Lord, help us by your spirit as we look at your word today. In Christ's name, amen. This is usually, I'm doing something I have not done in six years since I've been the pastor here, okay? This is, you can mark it on your calendars. I am not giving you a roadmap or a big idea this morning. I will, however, give you a conclusion of where we want to walk away with this morning, and you've just got to hold on to that and be in, in anticipation for it, but I'm not going to give you a roadmap ahead of time I want us to think and chew on why is this important for our lives. I will, however, give you an outline of what we're going to be looking at. We're going to look at verses or chapters 15 to 17, Judah and Joseph. We're going to look at chapters 18 and 19, Shiloh, and then the rest of the tribes. And then we're going to look at a third point at thinking about our allotment as well. So, so let me give you a brief summary of what's going on in Joshua chapters 15 through 19. This is the part of the book of Joshua. They have done, they, they are done conquering the land and they are now acquiring and possessing the, the, the promised land. And so these chapters are about the land allotments that each tribe of Israel receives. So last week in Joshua chapter 13, it began with describing the inheritance that happened before the promised land for the half-tribe of Manasseh, for the tribe of Reuben, and the tribe of Gad. And then in chapter 14 of Joshua last week, 
we saw the beginning part of the land allotment in the promised land, and it began with Caleb, the 85-year-old guy who acts like he's 40 years old still with his strength. And so the rest of the tribes of Israel, which is what we're looking at this morning, are about to receive the land from God. So in Joshua 15, 16, 17, and 18, and 19, this is all about the tribes of Israel receiving their allotment of land. And so you're going to see different maps. I'm trying to highlight parts of the, the, the land in Israel so you guys can get a picture of what's going on here. Now the author could have just said, the tribes are allotted their land. So why does it go into so much detail? Right? If you just glance at chapter 15, it's like, why do they need 63 verses just for the allotment of Judah? That's just one tribe, y'all. Okay, and it just keeps going. Well, let's see what conclusion we come to together. So remember, this is a celebration list of all that God had given to Israel. God isn't stingy. He isn't leaving anything from them. He is blessing each tribe with wonderful land. And there's never been a God like the God of Israel who loves Israel, who saved Israel, who covenanted with Israel, who has fought for Israel and is now delivering on every one of his promises to them. And so if God's word says it multiple times, it's not that it's redundant it's that we need to hear it multiple times. And so as we're tempted to zone out this morning over details that don't seem important to us or seem so far detached from us, instead, I urge us to ask the question, why do I need to think about this again? What does the Lord have in store for me as I'm reading this that I need in order to follow him faithfully? What's God trying to remind me that I need to hear multiple times. Because if God's word says it multiple times, it's not redundant. It's that we need to hear it multiple times. So we wouldn't, we wouldn't do this in other parts of the Bible, right? Like uh, the gospel of Mark talks about Jesus's resurrection. When we read about it in Matthew or Luke, we're not like, well, we've already read that part. We don't need to read it again. No, no, it's there multiple times because we need it for each one of those. So, so we read in Joshua chapter 14 last week, that each tribe received their portion by casting lots, right? Making a, a what seems like a random selection uh, before God so that there was no favoritism being shown. And the land that's given to Judah here in chapter 15, it's large, it's extensive. In fact, it is so big that as we'll read in chapter 19, the middle of it is given to the tribe of Simeon. So in chapter 19, verse 9, it says this, the inheritance of the people of Simeon formed part of the territory of the people of Judah because the portion of the land, of the portion of the people of Judah was too large for them. The people of Simeon obtained an inheritance in the midst of their inheritance. So compared to other tribes, this was a large portion of land. That, that's what we see in verses 1 to 12 of chapter 15. It went from the Dead Sea all the way to the Mediterranean Sea. And there's a lot of information about the exact border that they had. And while that might seem tedious to us, it certainly was not tedious to those who would possess the land. They needed to know where did the land start 
and where did it end? And so then verses 20 through 63 of chapter 15 describe all the cities and villages within that land that was given to the tribe of Judah. And if you're like me, you like to count things. And so if you're reading carefully and and counting the city names, you're going to notice that they don't match up with the number that's given in the summary. Okay, so if you look at chapter 15, um, uh, verses 20 through 32, there's 36 names that are given, but in verse 32 it says, in all, 29 cities with their villages. And you're like, what's going on here? Uh, it's not a conspiracy theory, okay? Uh, it, it explains it's 29 cities and then all the rest were villages together, okay? Not a big deal here. And so we also see, though, in Joshua chapter 15, uh, we, we can point to this, this summary at the end of it in verse 63. Look at that with me. But the Jebusites, the inhabitants of, Israel, of Jerusalem, the people of Judah could not drive out. So the Jebusites dwell with the people of Judah at Jerusalem to this very day. And while they took almost all of the land, there were still people left that Israel did not drive out. The Jebusites. And with God's promise and God's help, the reality is as we read this, it should seem a little bit odd to us. There really is no good excuse as to why that city stayed a Canaanite city until the time of King David in 2 Samuel 5. They they were not as numerous as the army that was described in Joshua chapter 10, where the army was as large as the sand is on the seashore that Yahweh wiped out, and yet they were not driven from the land. And then if we keep going in Joshua chapter 16, well, we're looking at, at Ephraim. Now, now, people might immediately uh, have, uh, raise a red flag of question because in Revelation chapter 7, there's a list of the 12 tribes of Israel. And in that list, the tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, which are mentioned in chapter 16, 17, are not mentioned in Revelation chapter 7 at all. There's lots of conspiracy roads to go down as to theories as to why, but there's actually, again, just a very easy, simple explanation. Ephraim and Manasseh were sons of Joseph. Okay, and so Ephraim and Manasseh were each given a part of the inheritance of the land that came with all the other tribes of Israel, all the other sons of Jacob. And so when we see Joseph mentioned in Revelation chapter 7, it's referring to his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, which are given an inheritance along the other sons of Jacob. In fact, chapter 16, verse 4, clarifies that for us. The people of Joseph, comma, Manasseh and Ephraim, comma, received their inheritance. Okay, so there's no conspiracy theory when we say, well, Manasseh and Ephraim aren't mentioned in Revelation 7. You're right. But Joseph is, and they're of the same family, so it's okay. Um, Now remember that half the tribe of Manasseh stayed on the other side of the Jordan River, east of the Promised Land. Uh, And so for the sons of Joseph, the the Jordan River then was the east border by Jericho, which we've already seen, okay, so you guys can see that on the map. 
And then we quickly begin to see a similar problem that we saw in Joshua 13, that we just saw in Joshua 15, and now we see in Joshua 16, in verse 10. Look at that with me. However, they did not drive out the Canaanites who lived in Gezer. So the Canaanites had lived in the midst of Ephraim to this day, but had been made to do forced labor. Again, we see another incomplete conquest. They failed to conquer the land that God had called them to do. Consider how this is different from what we read about Caleb in chapter 15. He's willing to drive out anyone who's needed. Uh, It shows the kind of character that he has, and it shows the type of character that the Ephraimites did not have. Let's keep going with a 30,000 foot view and move on to Joshua chapter 17 with Manasseh. Uh, Within Manasseh, remember, it's not just Makur, who's the firstborn man of war, who receives an inheritance, but all of the clans, everyone by their six clans, receive an inheritance from the Lord. There was no family that was overlooked. In fact, you'd think that only the families with male children would receive the inheritance, as was the custom. But even families with only daughters were even given an allotment. Check this out. In, in chapter 17, verses 3 to 4, we, we see this. Now, there's a lot of names here. Don't get lost in the names. Now, Zelophehad, and then he, they give his lineage. Skip ahead. It says, had no sons, but only daughters. And these are the names of his daughters. Mahala, Noah, Hogla, Milka, and Tirzah. I won't say those names again. They approached Eleazar, the priest, and Joshua, the son of Nun, and the leaders, and said, The Lord commanded Moses to give us an inheritance along with our brothers. So according to the mouth of the Lord, he gave them an inheritance among the brothers of their father. Friends, there was not a family that was overlooked in all the tribes of Israel. God was faithful to his promises, not only to the people of Israel in general, but specifically down to the tribe, down to the clan, down to the families that didn't even have male children, and to their cities and villages. But then we quickly see the same problem in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 17. Yet the people of Manasseh could not take possession of those cities, but the Canaanites persisted in dwelling in that land. Now when the people of Israel grew strong, they put the Canaanites to forced labor, but did not utterly drive them out. Now we know this is not the end of the story. And the reason that the book of Judges exists and the troubles that Israel is experiencing there is due in part to the fact that they did not utterly drive out these other inhabitants. In fact, if you read the first chapter of the book of Judges, it's like it's on a, like a repeat cycle and it says, this tribe did not drive out this, the, this foreign uh, group and this tribe did not drive out the inhabitants and this tribe did not drive out the inhabitants. And so we see that there's a problem, even in the promised land. There's a problem with Israel following through on all that God commands. Apparently, the descendants of Joseph was large. 
And so they went and spoke to, jo- to Joshua, the leader of Israel, who was also of the sons of Joseph. And they thought, our man Joseph, he can help us, okay? We need more land. And he doesn't do anything about it. He says, if you want more land, there's a forest over there. Go cut down the trees and make it work for you. If you want more land, you need to work for it. You have enough land the Lord has given you. You don't need to be needing more. You can make do with what he has. Brothers and sisters, we should consider for a moment how we might also confuse the Christian life. We might confuse our spiritual lives and thinking that once we are saved, it is like a cruise down the Caribbean sipping Mai Tais. And it's not. Our spiritual lives are actually meant to be work more than it's meant to be a cruise. Have you considered that beholding the promises of God doesn't automatically mean easy in this life? There's many spiritual blessings that God has given us, and yet so often we don't act upon them as if he has given them to us. Just really easily think of how easy it is to go all week without engaging in God's word and yet it's on our coffee table every single day how easy it is to go all week and rarely spend any time with God in prayer how easy it is to say on a Sunday morning I'm just too tired I'd rather get some sleep because I have a busy week ahead of me and we miss the blessing of gathering with the saints the the blessings of God usually come on the other side of temptation and despair and difficulty when we don't give in. There is purpose to God's gifts. There is responsibility to what God has given us. And it takes time and it takes pressure and it takes work to reveal what God has in store for his people. You don't want me to be a pastor that spends 20 minutes planning for a 15-minute sermon. You want me to dig for the jewels in the mind of God's word and bring them out for our hearts and lives. And we are actually all called to do that same work because there are great jewels of the Christian faith to be had. I had a, a, a professor who would always say, Brian, the best apples, well, he'd say the choicest apples, he's Canadian. He said, the choicest apples are not at the bottom of the tree. They're at the top of the tree and you have to climb them to get them. Don't eat the apples that have fallen off the tree. Those are bruised. Brothers and sisters, there are great blessings in the Christian life that too often we fail to climb the tree or mine the, the mine in order to get. There are great jewels of the Christian life to enjoy that God has given us. Let's look now at chapters 18 and 19. Uh, the, the land of Shiloh, and then all the rest of the inheritance for all the rest of the tribes. Okay, let me give you a quick summary of what's going on here in chapter 18. There's still land that needs to be divided, and, and, it, and it begins with the inheritance of Benjamin. But remember, it isn't just God's people receiving a land as inheritance. It's about God dwelling with his people. Now, with the first half of the tribes having received their land, Israel met before the Lord. 
in Shiloh, that's what the beginning of chapter 18 is all about, they set up the tent of meeting, which is the place that God would dwell with Israel until the temple is built by Solomon in Jerusalem. Okay, so, so the, the, in Shiloh is where they would go to meet with God for, for the whole time up through King David. Now God has made a claim to the promised land and would be with his people. And the greatest part of Israel's inheritance isn't the land, it was that they were there with God. The greatest part of glory for us, brothers and sisters, won't be the place, but that, will be we, that we will be with God. God will dwell with his people forever in a way far greater than the tent of meeting or even the temple. It brings up the question, what do you look forward to most about eternity? Right, growing up in church, uh, a big deal was made about the crown we'd receive or the streets that would be paved with gold or being able to see a grandparent again. And those fail on the most important part. We will be free from sin and will be with God for eternity, fully and enjoying being with him. The one who will wipe away every tear, the one who will make all things new, we will be with him. But there was a problem in Israel. The remaining tribes were kind of hanging out with their hands in their pockets, kind of waiting for something to happen. And they said to Joshua, well, what about this land? Like, what are you going to give to us? And Joshua's response in verse 3 is basically this of chapter 18. You've been given your land. Why are you standing around and waiting? And so then after Joshua's challenge, the tribes begin to move out and to possess the land that had been allotted to them. Brothers and sisters, we want to be people who don't just wait around until you think you hear from God, we want to act in faith now and trust him to direct our paths. There is something about being patient and waiting on the timing of the Lord. But God has been clear about what Christians are to do. And we don't have to wait for some special assignment beyond what Christians of every generation are to do. God has given us his word. He has given us his spirit. So why let grass grow under our feet? Let us act in faith and trust God to direct and then change our paths. Brothers and sisters, there is no better way to honor God than by using the gifts that he has given us for kingdom purposes. So what we see is that Israel then cast lots for the remaining land before the Lord. They did this in front of the, 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 the uh, meeting tent and continued to take possession as God had called them. So then chapter 18, verses 11, all the way through the rest of the chapter, uh, the remaining part of that is, is about the lot that's given, the, the allotment that's given to the tribe of Benjamin. And, and it's meticulously and uh, divided, and it has very clear boundaries that are being made. Uh, and then we see the same things are true about all the rest of the divisions. In Joshua chapter 19, 
we see that there's an inheritance for Simeon, Zebulun, Issachar, Naphtali, Dan, and then Joshua. The land had been surveyed, and then a second lot, right, casting lots, the second lot was for the next tribe, the tribe of Simeon. The tribe of Simeon received their inheritance, and remember that it was within the land of Judah, because the land of Judah was so large. And then a third casting of lots. Who's the next one? The tribe of Zebulun. And this, like the rest of the area, uh, which if you see on the map, all of a sudden they're starting to get a little bit smaller, aren't they? And yet here too, God was faithful to his promises, not only to the people of Israel in general, but specifically down to every tribe, down to every clan, to their cities and their villages. Joshua chapters 15 to 19 are showing how specific the details get. And then a fourth lot was taken for Issachar. The same faithful God provided for Issachar their inheritance also. None of the clans were left out. And then a fifth lot was taken for the tribe of Asher, and God gave them their inheritance specifically and meticulously. And then a sixth lot was taken for Naphtali, and God gave them their inheritance specifically. And then a seventh lot was taken for the tribe of Dan. And then with this inheritance, we, we read about it, there's a little bit of a war. The tribe of Dan loses, and then they win back the land, they take possession of it, and they settle in. And then finally, at the end of chapter 19, there's an inheritance for Joshua, much like the inheritance given to Caleb last week. And you'd think that because Joshua's, you know, the leader of Israel, uh, that they would say, hey, pick out any spot you want. But that's not what happened. In fact, actually, if you read it about it in Joshua chapter 19, they don't offer him the choicest spots to settle in. He made his own choice, and it was a land that was barren. It was a land that didn't have great resources in it. It was 11 miles from Shiloh. It, uh, commentators say it was one of the worst spots that Joshua could have chosen in the entire promised land. Okay? Uh, was it a judgment call? We'll find out. And actually, you know what it reminds me of? You guys remember that story in the book of Genesis when Abraham and Lot are together? And their herds are getting so big, they can't dwell in the same place. And so Abraham, knowing the promises of God, looks at Lot and says, Lot, you decide where to go. You take the choicest land and I'll go wherever else you don't want to. Right? It speaks to the character of Abraham, right? That's kind of what we see going on here. It, it is basically what Joshua's doing. And so it shows the character of Joshua. He chose the land that was similar to the backside of a desert. He was letting the rest of the tribes have the better land. Nevertheless, all the land is divided up by the end of chapter 19. But notice what it says in verse 51 of chapter 19. It, it says, It was distributed by lot at Shiloh before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And so it affirms that each of the pro parts of the promised land are divided by lot so that it would ensure impartiality, so that it would be fair. And we see that it was done before the Lord. Right? So we should take from this that it happened by the approval of the Lord, in front of him, with his knowledge, and with God's blessing. 
So chapters 15 through 19 reveal how much detail God gave concerning Israel, concerning the land, and the land and the people that go together. Uh, God was not only giving them the land of Canaan, he was giving them a particular area to a particular tribe, and he gave each tribe a certain section of land. God, we can say as a conclusion, God, uh, to summarize what's going on here, God was concerned about each individual and their possession. Brothers and sisters, we can't walk away from this without recognizing that God cares not just about people in general, not just about uh, his people in general, but specifically down to the country, down to the state or province, down to the city, down to the church within the city, down to the people who are sitting in the pews and in the chairs that he knows by name, who has counted every hair on our heads and says, you who are so much more valuable than the uh, flowers of the field and the birds of the air. God cares about our personal lives down to every detail, so much that there's not a clan in any of the tribes of Israel who are forgotten about for their inheritance. They're not overlooked. They're not swindled out of it. Every tribe, every clan, down to its cities and villages are being given to them. So let's go to now our third point, our allotment. Right? We'd be missing it if we did not say that, that this book is showing the faithfulness of God in fulfilling his covenant promise to Israel. God is meticulous when it comes to fulfilling his promises. God really does keep his promises no matter how impossible they seem. But this section is also about an inheritance and we would be blind this morning if we didn't see all of the boundaries that each inheritance had with each tribe. Now, we may not even understand all the boundaries, like, wait, what city was where? And are they, are they still going clockwise? Or why now are they going counterclockwise, right? Like, that's happening here in chapters 15 through 19. Uh, what, why the boundaries? Well, the land's not there for them to do whatever they want with it. It is land that's given with ministry in mind. God makes clear of the mission. It's not because they were great people. The land was in desolation, and so they were to be the people of God in the land to make it no longer desolate. And so they received their inheritance with the boundaries of their inheritance for the service of God. Of course, there were benefits to the boundaries, if one had all the water, you could see how easily divisions would come between the tribes. But each, but, but it gave, each boundary gave each tribe and each clan their own identity. It gave them their own inheritance with responsibility and mission. It was each tribe's responsibility to drive out the rest of the inhabitants of the land. It was each tribe's responsibility to bring peace to the land where Yahweh was to rule over it, not for the worship of idols to continue. And so a life lived in covenant with Yahweh was to continue in each tribe throughout all the land. 
It was each tribe's responsibility for justice to be executed within their boundaries, for fairness to be lived out with one another. Now the boundaries, as we can see by those maps, had different sizes and shapes and, and, and all of which were part of God's plan and God's purpose. Some were given larger than others, though they was divided by casting lots. And no matter what size of inheritance they got, they were to trust God with the allotment that they received. And because we can forecast a little bit, we know the issues that are going to happen in Judges where they say things like, I like that allotment over there, even though it's not mine, it's yours. Right? You can immediately see how there's trouble. And so the language of allotment, brothers and sisters, is not actually something unique to Israel. The ministry for the kingdom of God is actually like an allotment given to us by God. And all of these ministries are of different shapes and sizes in different places. And we are called to be content with it, to cultivate it, and to be responsible for the ministries that we serve within it. In fact, it's really interesting. In Acts chapter 1, in verse 16, they're, they're choosing... Um, they're, they're, they're choosing an apostle to replace Matthias. Or, sorry, sorry, to, to replace Judas. And, 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 and they pick Matthias, if you guys remember this. But the language is so crazy. L- listen to this. It begins in verse 16 of Acts chapter 1. It says, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who rested Jesus. And, and then here's what's crazy. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. God allots us ministry and to be content with the ministry that he's given us, right? It's actually meant to focus a little bit like a bullseye, right? The closest bullseye is the immediate area that we are to be responsible for. So before I am called to be responsible for anyone else's family, I'm first called to be responsible for what's going on in my own family. Before I'm, I'm concerned about what's happening at College Drive Presbyterian Church down the road where my friend Keith is a pastor or, or any other church in the area, I first need to be concerned with what's going on here at Friendship Baptist Church. Right? You, so you can see how, how like a bullseye and consensual circles continue going on. That's what it looks like for God to allot us ministry and to take responsibility highest Uh, uh, within the circles that are closest to us. So brothers and sisters, we should read these boundaries of each of the tribes and recognize that this was land given with a mission, and we should recognize that we are also called to invest where God has placed us. I guarantee that no ministry is forever, And if we are part of a discipleship and multiplying ministry, we are constantly trying to train up others to do good ministry in the same way that we are to hand it off to other people. Which means, brothers and sisters of a small church in the rural village of New Concord, Ohio, that's not even on most maps, which means that we often wear more hats than we'd ever like to admit at a small church and the number of ministries that we are a part of. 
brothers and sisters, don't try to be involved in every ministry because we'll just burn out. It's okay to set boundaries. And it's okay to say, you know what? This other church of blood-bought Christians whom we love and cherish are doing this ministry over there. The Lord bless them. Let's continue to let them do that. Let's not try to overdo what they're already doing. There's not a tribe that's forgotten about. There was not a clan that was within any of the tribes that was overlooked. In fact, not one of the good promises that God made with the house of Israel had failed. All came to pass. And it's also true for us that God has given us everything that we need for life and godliness through his word and his spirit. Brothers and sisters, God is not stingy. He's not withholding his goodness from his people. That's what our call to worship was about in Ephesians chapter 1. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. We lack none of what we need. Why? Because the gospel's true. The very thing that we're going to be celebrating all week long that I hope to see you on Friday at 6 o'clock at our Good Friday service right here. And then at, on next Sunday at our 1030 Resurrection service right here. We're going to be celebrating the very work that Jesus did to purchase and redeem. We don't have to worry about missing out on something that God should have for us if we lived in New York City or if we lived somewhere down in Florida, or if we were part of some bigger church or some bigger ministry. And, and we often think, man, if we could only do that, then we would really know the power of God. Then we would really know the faithfulness of God. And the reality is God has given us, he's placed us here not by accident. And so we want to be faithful to invest where God has placed us because he won't forget about us. He's not going to overlook us. God has given us every spiritual blessing in Christ. With all of this territory, don't lose sight that God has given everything that God has promised. Now we are called to be this priestly kingdom where we serve God faithfully. And we can trust that as we do that, God will not overlook us. He will not forget about us or ignore us, the question for us is how do we make most of the time for what we are given and where we are placed? Family, church, neighborhood, New Concord Village, Ohio, etc., etc., right? Are we engaged with our neighbors for the gospel? Well, then who cares what Twitter war you're a part of by some guy in Florida? Are we working for justice and peace within where we live? Because, brothers and sisters, this is where Friendship Baptist Church is. This is where we're placed. This is where we minister. This is where we long to see Christ exalted. So here's the conclusion. Here's the big idea. Here's the conclusion you've all been waiting for that I wouldn't give you till the very end. Because God is faithful to his promises, we should in faithfully invest where God has placed us. Because God is faithful to every single one of his promises, 
we should faithfully invest where God has placed us. Boy, how cool is that, that it, that's happening right along the time that we are saying we care about churches being planted, not only uh, across the seas, not only in foreign countries, but in our homeland. We care about churches being planted in North America. We care about churches being planted in Ohio. We care about churches being planted in Zanesville. Uh, and that's what the Annie Armstrong Missions offering is all about, is we're saying, hey, we don't think the gospel should only go to the ends of the earth. It should, but it also needs to go to our neighbors. It needs to go to, to the family up the street. It needs to go to the town right next to us. And so because God is faithful to his promises, we should faithfully invest where God has placed us. Brothers and sisters, we are called, we are invited to the kingdom of God like a, like, like a hospital for, for, for broken sinners. And then we are redeemed and adopted into the family of God. And then he sends us on mission. He sends us to proclaim the goodness of God, not only here in these walls, but out to our neighbors, to our co-workers, to our village, to our friends. We want all of them to know the faithful promises of God too. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that these details of these meticulous boundaries and your generous inheritance that you give to each of these tribes are a reminder and a picture of your faithful promises, that you act out every one of your promises, not one of them fails, and that you call us to live for you where you have placed us just as much as you called each of those tribes of Israel to live for you where you placed them. So Lord, help us to be people of your word, equipped by your spirit, redeemed by the blood of the lamb who died and then was raised on the third day. Let us with confidence invest and pour into where we are planted. God, do a good work in us and through us for your namesake, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.